Mm, okay. So earlier on, uh, Jenny asked a question about chanting, uh, uh, concentration or jhana. Yeah. So before I go into that, um, today's uh, topic for Ask Me Anything is about conditions for our practice. Uh, so I'll we'll, try to keep the reply within this scope, but feel free to ask other questions if you have. Okay. Um, so I want to start off by sharing uh, a little story. Yeah. Uh, way back when I was back in US in Fayin Monastery. So uh, my senior Dhamma brother. So, uh, at that point in time, my teacher has already passed away. So, uh, on occasion, uh, I will um, consult him on the Dharma. I will seek his advice. Um, sometimes I'll complain to him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, being one of the few who is uh, who speaks uh, English, so I was also tasked to um, attend to general affairs, yeah, uh, to attend to the repair and maintenance of the monastery. So as a result, um, whenever repair job needs to be done, I need to go and look for the repair vendor, and then arrange for timing. Uh, for the repair and when they come I need to attend to them I need to be there physically so then it takes me away from my own reading my own reflection my own meditation yeah and <laughs> the funny thing about the repair person is that he always he oftentimes come um, on Sunday yeah so Sunday is our one day practice so just when I'm about to settle down and you know have some sitting, then the repair person come. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes my my um, the, the the my senior dharma brother, Sudafasi, he will come to the dharma hall, the meditation hall, and then he will snap the finger. Yeah, to alert me. Uh, sometimes he will snap a bit softer. And when it's a bit softer, <laughs> I act blur. And then you have to stay a few more times, then I will, okay, I, I will respond. So one day, uh, one day I, I, I was a bit frustrated, so I complained to him. I told him, like, uh, with all this uh, um, maintenance job, all these things going on, like, how do I practice, you know? Um, yeah, it's very disruptive. Mm. So, um, yeah, basically telling him that, you know, look, this, seems, this doesn't seem to be what I signed up for, you know? I signed up to come here, ordain and become a monk here, so that I can do um, my practice day in, day out. Then in the end, I'm always take, drawn away to do all this uh, uh, 
in a way, administrative and um, what you call that, uh, logistic work. Uh. So, in response, he told me, he said, uh, he, he told me a few things. Yeah. Uh, in a way, over time, I think he told me three different things. The first thing he told me was, this is not so bad. At least I still get to attend class and the repair isn't so frequent, which is true. Yeah, in, in, in reality, yeah. Um, then he related how when um, many years back, when the, that monastery wasn't uh, built up yet. So whenever there's class, my teacher, our teacher, would actually ask him to go and... Uh, like basically my teacher assigned him to attend to the building of the monastery yeah uh, so construction work itself uh, to layers with the construction company to build up the main hall which is completely new and the admin block with the dining hall yeah these two parts are new the dormitories are existing building and then there's another dormitory which is additional uh, yeah, so he told me like that was even worse because while everybody is attending class, sometimes you have to go and attend to the uh, site. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I was thinking like, well, that's your conditions are not my condition. <laughs> uh, when I was much younger as a junior monk. Then another time he told me, he said, um, he, he told me about the nuns in the other campus so back in the US we have two campus one for the monks, one for the nuns separated by 45 minutes of drive so they, are in, they were back in Wadito we are in Tahos in Shadow Mountain uh, Road 217 uh, so he told me that while in the nuns campus they have a lot more nuns so when you rotate the duties you may not do the, the frequency for the duties may not be so high but because it's uh, larger uh, there are, when, you, when there are more people there are more things to be done as well in a way so uh, he said when he has to go to the nuns campus to attend to certain matters he observed something yeah when the nuns are on duty, say for example, office duty. So when you're on office duty, you have to mend the office phone. Yeah. So when, when there's a call, you pick it up and basically you are, you are the call center. <laughs> yeah, you are the receptionist. And uh, they will basically uh, pass messages or they will uh, look for the relevant nuns to answer the call. So he said, the way they, they uh, some of the nuns conduct themselves when they're on office duty is they'll sit there at the office table um, and meditate they'll just go there, sit there and meditate and when the phone rings they will exit from meditation answer the call attend to it take messages if needed uh, go and look for other nuns to answer the call if needed and then, when it's done, 
they will just resume their sitting. So there's so as a result, if they are on duty for two hours, they are just doing their sitting for two hours, with some intermission. So they make full use of that time. And if they are on driver duty, yeah. So back in the states, we don't we don't really have much of uh, lay lay support, so we have to do everything ourselves. So sometimes we are on on driver duty. So when they are on driver duty, uh, what they do is the the duty driver nun would drive the uh, vehicle from the garage, and then uh, go to the main lobby, wait for the respective duty personnel to get in, the duty nuns to get in. So once they get in, she will drive everybody down to the respective locations. And then he will, she will just stay in the, in the truck, in the van, and meditate. And when it's time, she will pick up each of them respectively, and then drive back to the to the nunnery, uh, to our self campus, and then um, park the car, check in, and then continue with her practice. Yeah. So when she, when my uh, senior monk told me this. <laughs> I, I was I was speechless. Uh. <laughs> I mean, what can you say to that, right? Yeah, I was I was uh, quite put to shame, in a way, um, and also very inspired. That, yeah, actually, it's really up to us, isn't it? Hmm. To find time, to make time to do our practices. There are so many um, in between timing for us to um, use, but oftentimes we waste it away. Yeah. So in conclusion, then he told me, he said, if you wait for the right conditions to practice, uh, you will never practice. Yeah. You will never practice. Uh, you must practice now. Yeah. Whenever, whatever conditions you are in, you must start practicing now. Otherwise, you will never practice. Uh, he said, there are some lay disciples who say that uh, they, they are they still have kids or they, they still have this, they still have that or they still have work uh, they will start practicing when they have retired yeah, or when their kids are grown up but when their kids are grown up then sometimes the expenses are there then they say oh when I retire then I practice then, then when they retire and they practice they say they have their grandkids to take care of when their grandkids are grown up then they say they are too old they can't practice <laughs> Yeah. So, what conditions are required for us to practice? In one of the sutta, the Buddha said, there are those who say that it is too early, so they can't practice. It is too late, they can't practice. So, like maybe they wake up too early, then they say they cannot practice. Or maybe they wake up late, so they, can't, they say they can't practice. Or maybe it's too cold, so they can't practice. Or it's too hot, so they can't practice. Yeah, or or they they are hungry so they can't practice. Or they are too full so they can't practice. Yeah. So <laughs> if a person have this kind of mindset, um waiting for the perfect condition, they'll they'll never practice. Yeah. Such a person um yeah, the the they are they 
they haven't put in the, the right mindset towards practices. Oh. Hmm. So uh, with that, I want to open up to the rest yeah, to ask questions about conditions for practice, today's topic. And then I want to now address Jenny's uh, question from the Zoom talk last night. Uh, last night's talk was um, yeah. Oh, and if my, <laughs> if I may add, last night halfway through, uh, mid midway, uh, I I mentioned about uh, about how Chinese Mahana Buddhists sometimes uh, are quite like critique of other lineages and call other lineages Hinayana, you know, smaller vehicle and things like that. Uh, and I, I I went off a bit far, and then I, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> so I want to patch up that part also. So I mentioned about how um, in the Mahana Sutra there is such verses, but those verses are in relation to the the uh, those who are arahants, those who are Pachika Buddha, and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas see that they have potential. Yeah, that they have potential to attain enlightenment and that's why they use through skillful means um, goad them uh, encourage them and sometimes to the point of almost like scolding them telling them off and I gave the analogy of how uh, parents or teachers when they see that there's more potential in their students but merely because maybe of immaturity maybe because of um, bad company, maybe because of their laziness, so they don't put in as much effort. So the teacher may then tell the student, the parents may tell the children saying, you are so lazy, yeah? you can actually study harder, you can achieve better results, you can accomplish more, you can be uh, more knowledgeable. Yeah. Uh, you are able, you, are, you have the capability, but you are wasting your time. Yeah? You are just walling your time away, wasting your time. Yeah, so, of course, to, in today's society, uh, we, 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 fr you know, uh, we seem to frown on this. Uh, yeah. Oh, if you say this, it will hurt the child's self-esteem. <laughs> uh, the child will be emotionally scarred. Uh, I think it's a, bit of, a lot of nonsense uh, to me. <laughs> I think sometimes when we are too overly protective to young children, they they are so easily scarred, you know. Yeah, that's the irony of it. In our attempt to protect them emotionally, um, mentally and so on, they we end up making them more fragile. They become, you know, literally the strawberry generation. Yeah. So, why did I bring this up? I brought it up because uh, there was this reference to the analogy, yeah, of paramita to cross over to the other side. So, from this shore of uh, samsaric suffering to the other shore of nibbanic nibbanic bliss. Yeah. So I was mentioning about the raft. That the raft is um, that in the Pali Canon, there's only the guy, uh, the 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 simile itself simile of the raft yeah that simile only describe one person building a raft for himself to cross over yeah so i i mentioned 
the part about the Hinanya Anna, in the context that for the Bodhisattva, then you need to also be a vessel for others, uh, not just for yourself. Yeah, and my point in bringing that up was that uh, my teacher often highlight to us who are we to criticize Arahants or Pachuka Buddha? They are enlightened ones. Are we even enlightened? <laughs> oh. uh, so Jenny Ho asked this question. Chanting, chanting which is jhana, jhana concentration, is when you have an insight of emptiness. This is her question. Uh, uh, have an insight of emptiness and have zero attachment as you understand the ultimate meaning of yeah, so her question is, is that the case? Uh, the short, simple answer is no. Yeah. Jhana, what you describe, the insight. Insight is about wisdom. Jhana is about concentration. It's about stability of the mind, tranquility of the mind. Uh, these are two different factors. Yeah. You practice samatha, the quietening of the mind, to attain jhana and then you practice vipassana to develop uh, wisdom uh, so they are two different faculties huh? uh, I hope this answers the question <clears throat> let me see what other questions come up so in we ask Shifu will we be experienced uh, will we be experienced Nimitta lights during our practice of meditation? Okay, let me rephrase his question. His question is, will we experience Nimitta light uh, during our practice of meditation? Uh, nimitta more or less translate to signs. <coughs> oh, so, typically it refers to features of something in this case features of your meditation yeah so um, in some tradition uh, they describe the observance of nimitta in the form of light yeah that in your mind uh, you start to see uh, brightness yeah when we say light sometimes is it can there can be a question mark exactly what you are seeing uh. for example now it's daytime if you look around you are seeing light right yeah it's light that allows us to see things around in daytime at night time we can also see because of the light from the lamp so um, we may not see the lamp but we can see the light we may not see the sun we may but we can see the daylight right or we can literally see the sun and so see the light directly from the sun or we can see the lamp directly and we can see the light from the uh, lamp also uh, but when we meditate the presence of light um, doesn't include the source of the light oh, so this is something to take note uh, so in some traditions um, there is mention of this yeah? uh, the Buddha also mentioned in the Anguttara Nikaya that the mind itself is luminous yeah, that the mind itself is bright. Yeah, the nature of the mind. Uh, however, in the various sutta where the Buddha talk about meditation, 
uh, I rarely, if ever, come across texts where he described that a person, uh, when he meditate, that he must see light. Yeah. The description of light as nimitta uh, mainly come from Visuddhi Marga, Qing Qing Tao Lun. Yeah. And since you ask, uh, this is something that I find very interesting because if you look at the Visuddhi Marga itself, the various chapters or even paragraphs, um, they all have references to certain suttas, meaning that uh, it can be traced back to uh, specific suttas where the Buddha or his disciples uh, would actually give uh, teachings. Yeah, so like the earlier chapters on concentr uh, on precepts, you can find the various references. Yeah, and then when you look at the different practices, such as on the uh, four elements, uh, such as on the uh, contemplation of foulness, the the thirty thirty uh, six parts of the body that is foul, um, the contemplation of the bone. Yeah, the the uh, of the body comprising of bones uh, all, all this can be found inside the sutta but the section yeah I could be wrong I could be wrong I'm not a, an authority in this uh, particular commentary uh, but based on the translation or or rather based on the text yeah Visuddhimagga itself that I've read before uh, that particular section on light nimitta um, I don't see any uh, reference to Sutta. Yeah. Oh, so, um, and in various traditions, not all traditions describe the presence of light as uh, in the course of your progress in meditation. Yeah. But um, I'm not saying that you don't experience it, I'm saying yes, you can potentially experience it. It's quite common among practitioners. We can experience the presence of light. Yeah. And it's a somewhat <laughs> uh, intriguing experience because you meditate, meditate, but then eh, you suddenly, suddenly it's as though like someone shine torchlight at you. Uh, yeah, very strong torchlight. And the whole, like you close your eyes, it's somewhat dark or like it's sometimes with flashes, right? And then like sometimes with a... Uh, like reddish pink glow or something now this is basically your eyelid uh. and then suddenly the whole thing just turned um, gradually turned bright uh. so so sometimes you, you may uh, we may even open our eyes to check like what, what's going on <laughs> someone turn up the light then you realize that there's no change in the environment yeah so the source is not external oh. yeah but uh, to the question itself, will we experience? Uh, not necessarily so. No. If, because if it's a necessary step, then the Buddha would definitely have included it inside. Yeah. The Buddha did include that there must be withdrawal from the sensual pleasure, yeah. Uh, and basically which is the stimulation from the first five senses. Yeah. Uh, but in order to attain first jhana. No. Okay, next question. If anything, considering all that has happened this year, what is the biggest takeaway from 2020? This is from Sun Hao. Uh, well, today is not the last... 
I hesitate to answer this question uh, to uh, reply to this now because uh, next week there's one more session which is by another venerable and then the last session of SGC I'll be sort of covering that yeah so I'll be covering that in the in two weeks time also I'm going to just hold that first um, mm. and uh, oh we are done no more question very good <laughs> these are all the questions we have for today yeah we still have uh, 15 minutes to go so how what should we do now shall we meditate some more <laughs> Just now while looking for the uh, comments, I noticed that Suin last week asked whether I can share on the four distorted uh, perception that is found in the Mahayana Sutras. Uh, I, I think I'd like to cover that, but I'd like to cover that inside a session itself. That means the whole session is on that. Yeah, and even then, actually, SGC timing is quite tight yeah but that would be a bit better yeah because this is uh, ask me anything so the topics I would reply to or the questions uh, that itself is quite massive huh? mm. uh, any more questions questions on the conditions for practices uh, today everybody have no questions for conditions. Yeah, in fact, all the questions are not really on the conditions. Sir. So does it mean that all of you are? Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. There are other questions here. Uh, now I find them. I think the refreshing was a bit erroneous. Shifu, I feel bored during practice because I don't see improvements thus how to enjoy meditation instead of I have to meditate because I'm Bopian thank you uh, this is from Gig Singh now this is a great question <laughs> yeah because I think um, many people observe this um, and uh, perhaps perhaps this this is a question that will pop up at the late at the middle stage yeah because in the initial stage we usually experience um, a bit of a struggle yeah uh, for some people okay so like we may struggle uh, against the, the physical discomfort our legs and then our drowsiness or our thoughts so um, boredom comes when all these are somewhat not so active yeah so how to uh, enjoy the meditation when you don't see improvement uh, the first thing is perhaps <coughs> um, we must know that the practice uh, is is not meant to bring improvement on a daily basis huh? or rather it, the improvement may be there but it may not be visible with every sitting yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that most of you all, most of us, uh, maybe, may, uh, I don't know about Gek Singh, but I think 
uh, most people may do one or two sitting in a day. So within one or two sitting, usually you don't immediately see much improvement. Yeah. In fact, this is a phenomena that happened in the Buddha's time. So in one sutta, the Buddha said that, uh, or someone asked the Buddha like uh, about seeing improvement. So the Buddha said that it is just like a like a carpenter. Yeah, they may use uh, the file or the uh, a certain um, device, and as you work on the uh, uh, on on carpentry, he, yeah, building things. Every day he may wear out a bit of the handle, yeah, with while using it. Let's say if it's an axe or it's a file or something, yeah. So every day he may wear out a little bit, yeah. But if he check every day, he cannot tell the difference how much he has worn away. Yeah, he can't tell. But over time, he will notice that the handle has been worn out. Yeah. So the Buddha used this as an analogy to describe how if we, that we cannot see um, improvement from session to session. But over time, then you can see a difference. Yeah. So we have to have the right attitude. Yeah. Um, to towards our practice and its results, yeah. To know first and foremost that um, with each one or two sessions, we don't necessarily see immediate changes, because we are talking about long-term conditioning of the mind. Our mind has been conditioned day in day out, and if you include the beginningless life. Uh, have been conditioned to wonder about. So even if you talk about samatha, to quieten it, it's like trying to stop a truck that has been accelerating for a long, long time. Yeah, if you think ab about truck, right? If it's traveling at high velocity, even if you start pressing the brake, you still have to decelerate. Yeah. Now imagine if the truck is accelerating. So you have to stop the acceleration and then decelerate. <laughs> yeah, you don't just come to a stop instantaneously. Oh, yeah. So, uh, if we if we adjust our expectations, then maybe we will start to appreciate the meditation. Yeah. So the other thing about this is, um, when we meditate, what constitutes practice? So sometimes, so I, I often highlight this about what is a good practice, yeah? So oftentimes students will say that, oh, today's sitting wasn't so good. And what do they mean by that? Uh, it means that, oh, their leg is painful, they have backache, or they are drowsy, or they have a lot of thoughts. Then they say it's a bad practice or bad sit. So I told them, I said, um, or, or, or they feel like they are not doing it right, yeah, that they are not doing their practice. So I tell them, um, cultivation is exactly when, when you have leg pain and you practice mindfulness on the pain. And instead of simply moving when it's painful, you learn to observe the nature of the pain, the features of the pain. You learn to not simply respond to the pain in the usual way 
Uh, we, what is our usual way? Painful, aversion, intent to move. Move. You know, this three sequence. Yeah, you have pain, yeah, and then you have intent, you have aversion, and then you have intent to move. Yeah. Then as a result you move. So, so you have from the experience of pain, then you have this sequence coming up. Yeah. Uh, but don't take my word for it. Uh. Usually I don't cover this part because it's for you all to go and experience. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, some some sometimes some teachers may tell you the whole sequence, um, but I oftentimes refrain from sharing the sequence because it can become a mechanical process where you end up being primed to look out for it. Yeah. So when it's painful and you um, observe it, yeah, you are aware that there's pain. And you are aware that there's aversion towards the pain. Uh, that's, that's good practice. But initially, even as you observe the aversion, you may still have the urge, the inclination or the intent to move. That's, that's part of the observation. To know that you're currently at this stage. Yeah? And maybe even after observing, you may still move. That's also part of the insight, isn't it? Yeah, to realize that oh, currently you are at this state. But what does all this mean? This means that you are not able to face up to painful experiences, painful feelings, if you will. Yeah? Um, and if, if during a sit, a bit of, a bit of ache in the, in the body, yeah? back ache, leg ache, yeah? or a bit of itch can compel you to move, then what are the chances of us when in our day-to-day -day life you have a person looking at you and saying hurtful things to you? Can we choose not to move? Very little chance. <laughs> huh? If while sitting we are not able to uh, relate to the pain in a different way, then what chance do we have? Of course, we will have to move. Yeah, whether it's the leg pain or someone saying something hurtful to us, we will move. Move in terms of a response, and that response will be fueled by the aversion. Yeah. So, um, sometimes when we sit, we may look at sitting as like, uh, what has this got to do with my life? You know. <laughs> yeah. And some people may even look at meditation as escapism. Oh, my work is very stressful, my family very stressful. So I, let me run away from them, I avoid them, and then I just shut everything out and become quiet. On the surface, it seems to be that way. And for those who don't do the practice, or don't know about the practice, they may draw this wrong conclusion, but it's not meant to be like that. Yeah. Through the meditation is an active process. So through the meditation itself, not just in terms of the pain, but observing something very, very, what do you call that? Something that is so um, non-interesting, the breath, you know? For most people, it's not very interesting. But it is through observing this, among other things, our mind, the state of our mind, yeah? 
the 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 content in our mind, yeah. That we we get to learn about ourselves, the nature of our existence, car our current state. Then it gives us the key to how can we um, perhaps change, or knowing the way that we currently are, then so what, uh, and all this can lead us to. Um, having a change in the way we relate to ourselves in our day-to-day -day and with others. No? Uh, if you see meditation in this way, then perhaps your boredom may go away also. Okay? Uh, yeah, feel free to, to leave more comments here, okay? Because um, in a way, AMA is a bit tricky using the chat. Uh, usually in class, as I reply, then students can raise more questions so we can have back and forth uh, dialogue. So I'm going to go to the next question. How to create positive conditions for our practices and how to remove undesirable conditions which may hinder our practices? Uh, this is very general. Huh? Uh, but So let me just try to isolate a few things. So the first thing is, uh, we must know what is positive conditions and what is negative uh, or undesirable conditions. And sometimes the weirdest thing is, these two can be the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So for example, uh, positive conditions can be uh, a quiet environment for meditation. If, if we use meditation as an example, okay? So then we say, um, having a quiet environment is a, conducive con uh, is a positive condition. But at the same time, when it's quiet, then for some people, when it's too quiet, it, our mind can become unstable also. Yeah? Because we maybe we are not used to that quietude. Case in point, when I was in US, there was this guy from Florida, an American. Within one night, the next morning, he cried and he wanted to leave the monastery. He said that it's too quiet. So quietude itself, literally quietude in terms of no sound, absence of sound, can be a positive condition, can be a undesirable condition. It depends on how we learn to relate to it. Another opposite of this, when I was conducting a meditation session for Dharma camp years back, many years back, for I think NTU or NUS Buddhist Society, uh, it was located, uh, the Dharma camp was in Fuhai, in Geylang. So Fuhai itself, the, mo the monastery, uh, is uh, quite near to the east-west MRT line. So as we meditate, then the train will go past. Yeah. So um, I think for many people, having that is a disruption. Yeah. So uh, if we don't know how to relate to it, then that can become considered as an undesirable condition. So I share with them, Whenever you hear the train rumbling, yeah, then instead of looking at it as noise, don't look at it as noise. Note the arising of sound. Because it is by itself just sound. You know, that we call it noise is because we discriminate against it. But instead, if we relate to it as sound, it is one of the phenomena yeah, that correspond to our year, 
So then, when sound arises, just be aware of its arising. And as the train goes past, you observe how the sound persists. Yeah? And then as the train goes away, you observe the sound declining and come to an end. Or if you were to observe it even closer, you observe how the sound itself is not one sound, yeah, but a series of sound. So you can observe that. Then from there, your mind also becomes quiet. Yeah. And instead of being disturbed by it, it helps you to de develop quietude in your mind. And further, if you observe the sound in this way, then it can lead to insight, arising, maintaining and seizing of the sound. And this is the nature of phenomena, conditioned phenomena, anicca. Yeah? Uh, so, uh, and within that anicca, you can also observe conditional existence and arising. Uh, yeah, so, there, I'm just using these two as an example of how to create positive conditions. Yeah, how to create positive conditions and how to remove undesirable conditions, learn to relate to them differently. Yeah. Then all conditions become positive. Uh, what else? Let me see. Um, if anything, so f okay, uh, no more anything new. Okay, uh, Long John, so question from Alison. Good afternoon, Shifu. Could Shifu explain a bit about the last two factors for stream entry? Uh, careful attention and practice in accordance. How does one practice careful attention? Yeah, so this is about... Uh, so this is actually part of the four, four steps yeah, that can be uh, the supporting factors to leading towards stream entry. Stream entry is the first stage, Sotapanna, uh, for enlightenment. Uh, so Tapana, Sakatami, Anagami and Arahant So stream entry uh, has four factors uh, And these four factors is also described by the Buddha As the factors, the qualities to, uh, to have In order to develop wisdom uh, So the first one is Qing Jing San Zhu Shi Second is Ting Wen Zhen Fa Third one is Ru Li Zuo Yi And fourth is Fa Sui Fa Xing so in English, to associate closely with uh, a wholesome friend. Yeah. Uh, so in the original term is Kalena Mitra, sometimes uh, translated as a good friend, good spiritual friend, wholesome spiritual friend. Uh, so it's basically um, uh, someone who knows the path, yeah, that means the practice and the goal of Nibbana yeah, and has the compassion and ability to teach you yeah. so in the sutra the Buddha described uh, asking the question who is a wholesome friend then the Buddha said Tathagata that means the Buddha himself is the wholesome friend but in today's context then uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we may not it may be a bit tricky to look for the Buddha the Buddha has passed away into Parinibbana uh, these days, if you find people who tell you that they are the Buddha, um, run, run far away. Uh. <laughs> so, generally speaking, we say the next best thing is uh, a suitable teacher, yeah, uh, a suitable Sangha member who knows the teaching, 
the practice, knows the goal, and then uh, has the compassion and the ability to teach you. Yeah. So we associate closely with such a person for what purpose? In order to learn from him. Learn from him what? Ting wen zhen fa. Learn the right dharma. Yeah? Learn the right dharma. So sometimes, sometimes maybe where you are, you don't really have a choice. You know, yeah. Um, of course, we always have a choice, but we 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 may be limited by other factors. Yeah, people we we read about practitioners in the past, they sell their house, they they, they leave their family in search of a teacher. Yeah, and they may they may spend. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years just to look for one teacher and then spend the rest of their life to practice under that teacher. Nowadays, who, who wants to do that? <laughs> Very few. Uh. Yeah. Nowadays, people go online, search Buddhism, search Dharma, then listen here, listen halfway, uh, I'm busy, I'm going to do something else. Then tomorrow, eh, what was that teacher's name? Uh? Forget, then search again. Yeah. Then listen halfway, oh, this one quite interesting, I like, then subscribe. Then, but after that, also busy. Yeah, or listen halfway, go toilet. Listen halfway, go and watch other things. So, very inconsistent. Yeah, or we may say that oh, but maybe I encounter the teacher. The teacher is good in precepts, but don't know how to meditate. Know how to meditate, but don't know the so much te uh, teachings. Know the teachings, but don't know how to explain. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So I sometimes tell the students, I say, if you want to look for a perfect teacher, then you may have to wait for a long time because it, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of conditions to have a perfect teacher. Yeah? And we, do we have the conditions to meet a perfect teacher? <laughs> so the next best thing, yeah, this is my catchphrase these days. What is the next best thing? Next best thing is whoever you can encounter, ask yourself, which part of that person is better than you then learn that from that person if your precepts you feel that your understanding of precepts is really good already yeah and the person's understanding is only equal to you but the person's meditative practices is better than you then learn meditation from that person or maybe you are good in meditation but your understanding of the the precepts may not be so good but there's one person who is good in precepts but don't meditate. Then learn meditate. Learn, learn uh, precepts from that person. Or maybe you learn meditation, but you haven't learned the practice of four immeasurables. Yeah, uh, you don't know how to practice loving kindness, compassion. So you learn from those who know that better, and then you can easily find teachers. Yeah. So after learning the right dharma, the next. So the, her question is on the last two parts, but I feel that I should give you all the context. Uh. The last two parts, there are two different translations uh, to this, uh, or, or rather two different um, rendering. So in English, it's often rendered as careful attention or right attention. Yeah? Uh, so, but in the Chinese uh, teachings, right, we interpret this line in two ways. The first way is attention, that means you you attend to things <coughs> properly. So there are certain things if you attend to it, it leads to desire, it leads to aversion, it leads to delusion. Yeah? Or sometimes it leads we pay attention to certain things, you 
you tend to what to your mind becomes sluggish and you give rise to drowsiness yeah so if you find that when you attend to certain things you your mind becomes more agitated it tend towards defilements then you should refrain from it yeah you should restrain your attention so whereas for certain things when you attend to it it give rise to um, wholesome qualities yeah when you uh, see let's say uh, when you encounter people who are uh, let's say n not feeling well uh, you find that compassion arise yeah uh, or if you if you read certain texts that describe certain aspects about this world then it helps you to give rise to uh, renunciation yeah give rise to right view and so on uh, then you should attend to it uh, so it has these two parts so this is the attention part um, the other the other uh, interpretation interpretation we have is uh, the word zuoyi is also uh, interpreted as uh, contemplation that means whatever you encounter you should reflect on it uh, according to the teachings yeah so this is more about perception the other one is more about attention yeah um, in my lineage we are taught the second type but from various texts I also know that there is the first type I think the two together give you the complete thing <laughs> okay so the second one uh, oh sorry so this is just the question on careful attention Okay. so he, she also asked about how to practice in accordance so the practice in accordance actually there's two parts uh, fa sui fa sing so it's fa sing sui fa sing so um, so it is it is basically practice according to dharma vinaya yeah so there are those practices that's directly related to the liberation and then there are those supporting factors related to liberation yeah in other words basically practice everything that we have learned and covered uh, uh, but according to what has been taught uh, not our own kakilai our own method uh. my phone keep on timing out okay so Oh, actually, I don't know how come all of you can get all the comments, uh, but I don't seem to have any of the comments. Yeah, like, for example, Lok John helped to copy and paste the questions. But how come I... I like, where do you all get all these questions from? Like, Alison Go, uh, Lok John posted the comment from Alison Go. So I'm like, eh? Am I looking at the wrong page? So, uh, Kadel Go asked, I feel bored. Okay, this, so, sorry, this is already um, answered. So, how to create positive conditions also answered. Okay, so does it mean that it's all answered already? Oh, because I didn't see the question, so you all copy and paste for me. Hmm. So, Joseph Tan asked another question on meditation or pain. I find it challenging if it's meditating on migraine, which I typically have. 
The pain is different from the pain at the at other parts of the body parts, uh, since the pain is coming from the head itself. Okay, so uh, a few things to note. <coughs> this morning during the seven a.m. sitting, uh, at the end of it, one student shared that she get migraine or headache when she meditate uh, in the morning. And upon clarification, it turned out that she has been having migraine and headache uh, for many years. So it's not related to meditation per se. But uh, I mentioned a few co different conditions for the migraine. So let's just zoom in to if you meditate and because of the meditation, you start to feel tightness of the forehead. Yeah, and maybe tightness around the eye and headache, you know, tension uh, and tightness in the shoulders and so on then you may want to consider uh, whether you want to shift the uh, meditation object so for example uh, quite commonly those who experience the headache uh, their attention tend to be around the nose or upper lip area yeah so usually we have that experience of tightness uh, because our effort is not regulated yeah what do i mean by that so when we meditate uh, if we don't put in effort usually we won't experience the headache yeah just sit all sit 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 now tongue okay gone <laughs> uh, it usually happens for someone who is putting in effort but a bit too much effort <laughs> But we, we may say, how can there be too much effort? Don't we want to, if we put in effort, we, we can get a, a concentration, samadhi. Why don't we put in more? Then we can attain samadhi faster. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. Uh. Oftentimes it doesn't. Yeah, because the, the state of our mind has a certain momentum. So if, if you think about it, in our whole day, uh, our typical wakeful hours is between maybe uh, 15 to 16, 17 hours depending on how, how long you sleep so in that 15 to 16 or 17 hours uh, how many hours do we meditate? maybe one hour, maybe two hours that's a lot uh, for most lay people or do we exercise five hours? Or, or rather meditate 5 hours 5 out of 15 is only one third uh. the question is how many of us meditate 5 hours a day right so ignoring our past life even for this life then we ask ourselves when did we start meditating now let's just make the, the best assumption assuming that we started meditating the moment we are baby and everyday we meditate one third of our life our, of our wakeful life Okay, so one quarter of our whole day, six hours. Okay, six hours sleep, six hour meditation, twelve hours wakeful, doing other things. Even if we do that, that is only one third of our wakeful hours. That means the other twelve hours we are not paying attention, no, we are not being mindful. So this is the best best case scenario, meaning that there's so much accumulation of the habitual tendency to become distracted and so when we do want to meditate and say quieten our mind is it any surprise that it's not so easy to quieten it 
that it seemed to have this momentum to have thoughts ding and ding and ding <laughs> uh, so as a result sometimes we may out of a eagerness to to improve faster uh, actually apply more effort than our mental and physical body can take yeah so um, if that is the case then either regulating the intensity or shifting the focus to our chest or our diaphragm our stomach area to observe the breath can help in addition uh, we can also regulate with walking meditation paying attention to the contact on the floor also this this can help yeah uh, if your migraine is not due to meditation then i would suggest uh, uh, either seeing a doctor to find out what exactly is the cause and then taking the medication for short-term uh, solution you can pop panadol uh, yeah because headache is a illness uh, when we meditate and there's pain that is not an illness that's just a process uh. mm. But I also mentioned it this morning about how migraine can be caused by dehydration. Okay, oh. so I hope that answers the question. And uh, let me scroll through and see whether there are any way to better focus to meditate on the pain arising from migraine. Yeah, if it's migraine, it's very tricky. Yeah, because um, <laughs> if you focus on the migraine, uh, it can worsen. Yeah, because it's up here. So if you focus uh, on the pain here, uh, I, it actually worsens the, the conditions itself. Uh, so don't focus on the pain if it's migraine. Notice that whenever your meditation teacher talk about focusing on pain, it's almost always about focusing on the back pain, uh, leg pain uh, and so on. If it's migraine, we, we, at least when students tell me they have migraine, I say I don't tell them to focus on the migraine. <laughs> yeah. Because when you focus on migraine, all your attention is up on the head, it actually worsens the migraine. Don't do that, don't do that. Mm. Okay, so I think with that, I have uh, covered almost everything. Uh, I don't see any other questions that I have not attended to. Thank you, Lock John, uh, for copying and pasting the questions because early on, some of the questions were occluded for me. Yeah, uh, I have exceeded. We have uh, covered quite a bit today. I um, for some of the questions that uh, were posted last week, I think they are more suitable as uh, session topic itself. Huh? So keep a lookout for the next AMA. If you have any. Um, topic for the ask me anything that means certain theme feel free to send it to us using the facebook page or you can private message me as well if you like or you can leave the comments um, inside this video all right so um, take care we will now do dedication Yen